Hi there, welcome to Beyond the Benchmark. My name is Moz Afzal and I'm the Chief Investment Officer of VFG. This is an edited version of our internal podcast, more than just a typical market analysis podcast. In each episode, we go beyond the benchmark, delving into current topics affecting markets, economies and investor psychology. Each episode, I'll be discussing global trends with guests and experts from within EFG and further afield. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me on beyond at fgam.com. Repeat that, beyond at fgam.com. We are covering today ESG, so environmental, social and governance and EFG's approach uh, to ESG. So we're going to be interviewing Stefano Montobio, who's the head of uh, ESG uh, processes within EFG Asset Management. And um, what are we going to cover? We're going to cover what ESG actually means. Um, it's uh, still quite complex and many people take it to mean different things. We're going to cover um, some of the governing bodies and regulation around ESG trends as well in terms of what's going on and EFG asset management's approach to investing uh, around ESG and obviously how that all fits in with Jason Jay, who is our future leaders panelist focusing on ESG as well. So without further ado, let's bring on Stefano. So uh, next up, we have uh, Stefano Montobio. He's from the uh, EFG Lugano office in uh, in sunny Ticino. Uh, certainly is sunny, I guess, at the moment. It c- can get quite snowy as well in the winter. But uh, uh, Stefano, welcome to Beyond the Benchmark. Uh, hi, Moses. Thanks for, for inviting me. It's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're very, very happy to have you on. So um, the first question that uh, we always ask uh, our guests coming onto the podcast is uh, talk about your background, when did you join uh, EFG, and more importantly, um, how did you get into uh, ESG? Well, I, I, I think I always had a kind of, uh, kind of passion for, for these kind of, of themes, even if I've never been a, a kind of an extremist or an, a, an environmentalist in an extreme sense. But um, I, I think that the first time I realized that the business can be a force for good or, or the opposite is when I, I did my master thesis on economic history and I, I did it on the impact of industrial revolution on, uh, on poverty in, in Europe with a specific focus on Italy. But I also explored different, uh, different regions uh, uh, around the world and, and I could see at that time how some entrepreneurs were able to to create profit and at the same time improve in a significant way the the way that all the stakeholder all the stakeholder lived. You can think about the first Merkel or or Ford in in US or other entrepreneur in in Europe. Then I start working in the in the financial industry. As you know, I've been a fund manager. I set up uh, an advisory business for, for another bank uh, here in, uh, in Ticino and, uh, and somehow I, forget, I completely forget about this, uh, this background. And um, then uh, I was at, uh, at the dinner with, um, with a family friend that was quite famous uh, Italian filmmaker and um, 
he said a, a sentence that obviously was not completely true, but had some truth in it. So he said that uh, for doing film, uh, everyone is, uh, is very important, and he considered the filmmaker to be at the same level of the electrician that, uh, that set up lights. And uh, he said, well, everyone can have an impact in, uh, in the film if he does things properly and is committed to, to obtain the good results. And so I start thinking, well, yeah, it's, why not try to have some form of impact uh, in, my, in, my, in my activity, so in the, in the financial services. So that was around 2006, 2007, uh, something like that. Uh, ESG was, well, not very known at that time. So I start looking around. Uh, uh, I didn't find much, honestly, at that time. There were just a few articles from Harvard uh, uh, and, uh, and almost that. And uh, so I start studying uh, and learning uh, and, uh, and looking around. Uh, and... Uh, and then uh, I, I found this, uh, this idea of ESG, so uh, something that goes beyond ethical, ethical investment, so where you can judge company not only by the way they, they create profit, but also by the way they, they create purpose or help uh, other stakeholders creating purpose. Because I thought if these companies are, are able to do so, this is much better for for them and much better for for the society. So I start pushing for for the bank I was uh, working for to uh, create some some competence in this space, and uh, and it all started. So in two thousand and eleven, something like that, we had the first uh, framework working. Uh, we start doing analysis. Uh, we start improving our our um, system of assessing company. Uh, in 2015, uh, we we wrote an academic paper that was uh, judged by an executive program of uh, University of Bern, and, and then we subsequently improved. So I would say the setup is, is quite old. Um, and, uh, and so that's it. Uh, then uh, the the big jump, the big difference is uh, up and after the merger, because uh, for for a few years uh, when we built the system, we were there, unable to use it completely, and uh, and then, uh, as you know, because this is quite recent history, uh, starting from the seventeen. We start setting up all the rules and all the the procedure and the process to integrate and develop the our ESG capabilities. And it's quite happy. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah and, certainly I am as well. It's been a yeah. uh, a great deal of work, important work, and uh, obviously we'll we'll talk a little bit more in detail in terms of how EFG has become more ESG aware and implemented ESG policies. Um, something I haven't told anyone before, but uh, and probably you don't even know, Stefano, but uh, uh, when I did my MBA thesis uh, we, in the mid-90s with the National Rivers Authority, um, I actually did a lot of environmental um, analysis 
and audits of companies, environmental audit statements, um, and actually present it to the National Rivers Authority as part of my uh, thesis in the mid-90s. So um, I would argue <laughs> that between us, we have, you know, at least, um, you know, 40, 40 odd years of, uh, of experience in this, uh, in this space. Uh, uh, I, I should send you my thesis at one time, uh, at some point, and maybe you can mark it for me or downgrade it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, with pleasure. I, I can send you mine, but it's in Italian. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Yeah, great. So, um, so some of our listeners for the first time, uh, you know, are not hundred percent sure what uh, ESG actually means. Maybe you can, um, um, uh, you know, kind of run through those those threes, and we can have a bit of a discussion what they all kind of mean. Well, I think we could spend hours on these <laughs> on these question, as you can deal with uh, with the E, with the S, uh, maybe a bit less with the G under so many different angles. Uh, you can have a look with, uh, with an ethical lens, uh, with uh, an inter intergenerational justice lens, with a country justice, uh, respect of, of life, of nature, uh, with a risk lens, with a performance lens. So I think that one of the biggest complexity in this space is that anyone can see uh, things under different angles. Uh, there was once a, um, a US economist and, and professor, Herman Daly, that once said that uh, the word sustainability is a great word and, and everyone is happy and agrees on the, on the word. The problem is that anyone thinks something different. So no one at the end is able to, <laughs> to find an agreement. So, even if it is uh, uh, somehow, somehow complex, I think that all these aspects are somehow interlinked among, uh, among them. So if you think about, uh, well, the most, uh, the most known uh, uh, example on the E, the, the climate change or CO2 emission, this is, uh, this is, you can see as a question, as a problem, between uh, uh, the right to pollute, if you would say so, of, uh, of emerging country. They claim uh, that uh, Western countries polluted, polluted for years, uh, for, for century, and, uh, and now that they are starting to build up the industrial system, uh, we are going to tell them, stop, you, you, you cannot pollute. So they see it as, a, as, a, as an injustice. You can see about you. You can think about uh, younger generation that are claiming, uh, uh, well, you are going to destroy our world. Uh, so, I, I think that even Jefferson, the, the one of the father of uh, of the U.S., uh, uh, said somewhere uh, that uh, the land cannot belongs to to the dead, meaning to me that uh, uh, we cannot destroy something that. Uh, has to be used by by the next generation, and uh, in these uh, in this situation, you have uh, internet that becomes a uh, an amplifier for all these uh, for all these problems. So uh, problems that maybe in the past could have been seen as a only ethical aspects or, or, or something like that are now becoming. Uh, 
much more known by by the community, and uh, and uh, the fact that they are become more, more relevant uh, and more known means that the regulation is uh, is uh, is coming more attention, more rules, and from rules you have uh, you have uh, well some risk. You you start understanding that there can be some risk if uh, if climate really changes. Uh, you can you start understanding that if there are rules, you have to respect these rules and you have to to invest. And if you do not uh, if you do not prepare yourself for for a changing climate, you would have uh, you would have uh, you would have problems. Um, one uh, one example is what we discussed. Uh, uh, during one of the of the asset allocation committee of the impact on a possible uh, CO2 CO2 tax because uh, I'm quite convinced that if we really want to uh, reduce emission uh, this is something that must happen one day and uh, it has been it has to be to be done at quite quite high level uh, if we start playing with the numbers, considering the current emission, we can see that uh, there are some sectors that, uh, if we if we simply uh, set up a, an hypothetical price of uh, I don't know sixty or eighty dollars per tons so of CO two of CO two tons, and I think that this is uh, roughly in line with uh, with some of the analysis that I read. Well, you can see that some of some some sector. Will be will be out of bin, of business, which of course cannot happen, and is will will not be will not be fair towards them. But uh, uh, if this is the, the direction, it means that this sector must start preparing themselves for a for a for a different future, mm-hmm. and uh, we must give the time uh, to them uh, to work uh, and, and find uh, and find solution. But there are no no many other alternative, I would say. Uh, if you think, uh, well, maybe on the, still on the E, if you think at uh, the origin of the world's sustainability is uh, at the end uh, is, uh, is not new, is something that uh, is, is a word that has been used in, in Germany uh, at the beginning of the 18th century by the by the manager of the of the forest uh, for for the kingdom, and uh, it's simply the concept was uh, I cannot cut more trees than the one that are that will grow to preserve the the good functioning of uh, of the forest. So E is uh, is of course the most uh, uh, the most uh, relevant aspect, the most discussed. But I also think that S has, uh, has quite an important uh, role to play. With the S, uh, we usually work at how companies behave with respect to the employees uh, or to the, the social communities where they operate in, to see if they still have the, let's say, the, the license to the license to operate. One of the analysis that that we did in the past. Uh, and specific for the for the banking industry, um, we discovered that, uh, um, of course, well, the working in a bank is not a dangerous, is not a very dangerous environment. So, 
there were not many accidents. But with uh, some surprise, we discovered that uh, the banking sector is among the, the sector where the, the lost days are high. That to us suggests that, well, there is probably some unhappiness, uh, absenteeism across uh, banking, uh, banking employees. And that suggests that if a bank is able to retain talent, uh, to have a committed workforce, it can have an impact also from, uh, from a performance point of view. So less risk, more happy employees, uh, better performance. Uh, you can think about Vali, uh, the, the, Brazilian, the Brazilian company. We, we also, well, two years ago, there was, one year ago, there was this, uh, this uh, collapse of the dam in, in the Brumandinho region. They were, I don't know how many hundred people lost their lives. And, uh, well, of course, the company has uh, had to pay huge amount of fines and also had uh, its performance on the stock market on the, and the bond market uh, collapsed. Uh, G is, uh, is, another, is another important, I, I would say, less controversial aspect of the ESG framework. Uh, of course, if a company doesn't have a proper set of rules to govern itself, uh, well, it's more exposed to, to any kind of bribery or corruption or, or problems. And that's, we had many examples in the past uh, uh, thinking, for instance, about uh, Volkswagen, that uh, even previews of the, of the issue with the, uh, with the emissions, they were renowned for having a bad governance which is not directly linked, of course, to the, to the issue problem, but is a sign that the management maybe is not looking at setting up the proper, the proper rules to manage the company. We had uh, problems with, uh, with Olympus in the past, or more recently, again, with Wirecard, where the, our analysis suggested that they were very weak in terms of uh, corporate governance uh, and uh, and business uh, and business integrity. So all these uh, are somehow a sign that uh, that a company is well is not properly set up. Then, uh, of course, uh, not all the companies that are not properly set up go bust. Uh, but the risk, of course, are are higher. Yeah, it's one of those uh, indirect uh, consequences uh, that. Um that eventually lead to the downfall, as, as we've seen, a spectacular downfall in uh, in, in Wirecard. Uh, but there are numerous, numerous cases over the last, e- even re- recent years, um, of where poor uh, governance has led to uh, severe deterioration in shareholder value. Um, so one question I have for you um, is that, um, you know, if you like climate activists have been around for many many years you know uh um for some of us who are a bit older you know we remember uh greenpeace and these um uh you know the these ships that would fly you know that would uh get in front of you know um 
trawlers or get in front of um, tankers and, and and go to Arctic and so on and so forth. Um, I can honestly say they were completely ineffective <laughs> because um, they uh, they created awareness. I think was was right, but in terms of force for change, they were unsuccessful. Um, you know, by 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 many metrics. Um, what has changed today? You know, why is someone like Greta Thornburg more successful than you know, a relatively well-organized Greenpeace? What, what, what's changed now versus that time? Well, I think that uh, like Greenpeace uh, and this kind of uh, extremism act were, as I said, unsuccessfully, but they create some, uh, on the one hand, they create some uh, additional awareness. On the other, I think that science evolved uh, quite significantly, and uh, you 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 can see that uh, the prediction that the science did in uh, I don't know, ten or twenty years ago, uh, have been uh, have been realized. So, and in some cases, the prediction that the science did uh, were even too conservative. So. The science uh, is, and uh, let's say the community, the regulators, uh, the, the political world, is starting to feel the heat of uh, of issues such as the climate changes, uh, uh, resources, uh, uh, pressure for, for for different communities, and as I said before, internet is has been a powerful revolution and amplifier for this kind of uh, for this kind of issue. So. The more, uh, the more knowledge that the society also evolved, and uh, and now these kind of uh, of, uh, of problem are discussed every day. So in these uh, in different in these different uh, uh, scenario, uh, it was somehow easier for for for, for someone like uh, like Greta to uh, to be here by the. By the political community, mm. because at I the end she it, just uh, yeah. point out something that everyone was already start to see. Yeah, I, I also I guess that um, you know, and you know, maybe I'm going to give too much credit to Elon Musk, but uh, you know, you had kind of cool car companies like Tesla that created a product that created um, an awareness. Um, and I, I call it the, the practical change that people can 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 buy into, um, and uh, I, I think that that you know we probably shouldn't underestimate uh, the impact uh, that that has has had. You know, in the end, you know, um, if you go to the consumer side, in the end, people buy green product, and this is a discussion we had with with um, with uh, Jason Jay. You know, previously, um, is that um, uh, you know the green bundle uh, is now a, a much more powerful and understood um, situation. Uh, in the end, you know, people want a good car or a nice-looking car or cool electronics, um, and they want to be clean as well, right? So you 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 give them you give people the avenue to um, to to fulfill the awareness they already have of the situation, and I think that's 
I think that 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 concept of the green bundle to me is you know something that's resonated very heavily uh, with with uh, w- with myself and our investment teams in terms of how products should be um, should be set up. So that hopefully they perform good, have good investment process, uh, but they also do do good for the environment. And I think that that um, that sort of concept, um, call it industrial concept. Uh, has started to really take off, and I think that's, uh, I, I think that probably has had a quite quite a meaningful impact on on people's awareness of uh, of what's going on. Um, but I think you're right that the science is probably probably the key driver or recognition of the science. Um, I think um, much of the science was available for a long time, but people just chose to ignore it, right? and uh, and I think that um, that's quite important. Um, there was another important point that you raised uh, around climate is the emerging markets um, where, you know, if you are a, an emerging economy, you quite rightly said, well, you know, the, the West, for example, was a huge polluter for many, many, many decades uh, or, or even centuries. Um, and now it's our turn. Uh, you want us to be clean. What's the... Um, What's the, you know, how do they, how, how, what are the policies we can do to overcome that, uh, that complex? Well, uh, there are different, there's not just one answer, there are many answers. It's, uh, I think that technology uh, is, uh, is a game changer. Uh, Tesla show it that, showing that it's possible to drive a nice looking car without polluting. Uh, it's feasible. So technology can help uh, uh, the emerging markets. Uh, transfer of of technologies is another way of uh, of helping uh, the of helping this country. So if uh, in some cases we probably need to to be ready to to, to give them some some of the technology that uh, Western countries developed. Uh, you have to think that now, worldwide, uh, fossil fuels receive more subsidies than renewables, which in the, at the current juncture seems uh, a, bit, uh, a bit strange. Uh, in some cases, it will be, it will be difficult for, for them to, to change. Uh, if you, you can think that if you have, if you hold big uh, coal uh, mines uh, and you have the coal almost for free why to why do you have to bother to to go green uh, it's an additional cost so we have to do everything that is in our it's in our hand to try to start reducing our emissions and then uh, uh, of course uh, help them uh, to uh, to you reduce there. Maybe in this case uh, uh, regulation can help, CO2 tax can help because CO2 tax from my understanding can be accepted by uh, WTO uh, and this is a way to harmonize uh, the cost of uh, the, pro- the cost of production of goods uh, in, uh, in different countries. At the end uh, the atmosphere and the air is uh, and the pollution is uh, is not something that is that has boundaries. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, 
EFG and, and EFG Asset Management has uh, signed up to uh, you know, various regulatory bodies to um, um, so that we can be in line with some of the best thinking uh, around ESG matters as it, as it pertains to investment. Um, what sort of regulatory bodies have, has uh, has uh, uh, FGAM signed up to uh, that uh, we're already uh, already been implemented in in our investment portfolios? Well, I think that the main three, I would say, yeah, I think that there are three. The main one, uh, the first one is the PRI, the Principle for Responsible Investing Investment. This is uh, the main uh, association. It was uh, uh, created some more than 10 years ago uh, with the support of, uh, of the United Nations and now it's, it's growing uh, exponentially every, every year. And uh, they are uh, probably the, well, they are the ones that do the assessment for, for how well or bad uh, companies are integrating ESG. Uh, the assessment is mainly based on on the on the setup, on the process, uh, on the on the procedure. Uh, but uh, I'm quite happy uh, to to see that they recognize the the effort that we did uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, the first time we we received the assessment, uh, they rate us uh, uh, with an A for strategies and, and governance, uh, and uh, a bit weaker. For uh, for the integration of ESG in uh, equity and fixed income investment investment, and I, I think it was fair because we were just at the beginning of of our process and we uh, at the beginning we set up the governance framework, but having a, a sound framework allowed then us to to obtain uh, the top score uh, the next year uh, that we receive uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, to obtain uh, scores between A and A plus, which is uh, the best score they they assign. Uh, well, congratulations! To, uh, congratulations uh, for it. Like well, a report card uh, uh, for the exams. You know, A and A plus is very good. Uh, but we we just had A level results in the UK, and it was a huge uh, huge bone of contention. But uh, A and A plus is sounds very good in my book. So uh, you know, congratulations. Um, I think that the the congratulation is not to to me, but also to the investment. So all the investment team cooperated to reach these uh, these effort. Of course, if you yeah. think, for instance, the the, the manual that uh, that on the DRG manual with all the questions that we created uh, in, uh, in collaboration with fund manager, analyst uh, Jason Jay, and is uh, I think it's a something that continues to evolve and is a big piece of work. And then uh, I think the other uh, the other regulatory bodies I think Swiss Sustainable Finance uh, for for again, Switzerland of course uh, uh, and uh, particularly the TCFD uh, the Task Force on Climate Disclosure that is uh, more focused on uh, helping companies to better understand integrate. Uh, uh, climate risk uh, within their within their portfolios. So I think that these uh, these bodies are quite useful. On the one hand, they provide you uh, literature and ideas uh, and forum to to discuss. 
on the other, you have to prepare a huge quantity of reporting and, and analysis to submit them, and it's, it's, this is quite a uh, this is quite heavy heavy task. I think um, you know, we're probably on a journey, right? Um, I think as trends kind of continue uh, in in this vein, um, and uh, you know, regulation is obviously going to get stricter in here. Um, uh, what about you know new e re- regulation that is you know, slated to come out next year that changes the game even further? Uh, tell us about that. Well, yeah, this is a, a complex, a damn complex piece of work because the regulation is expected to enter into force in uh, in March, but uh, it's not completed yet. So there are some some pieces of the regulation that is composed by three, four different uh, documents uh, that are still uh, still in the draft. Uh, what I think it's it's important, it's very important, and this is really a kind of a revolution, is that uh, they will clearly state that integrating ESG and sustainability risk in investment process is part of the fiduciary duties of uh, of uh, financial institution, asset management, insurance companies. Uh, Europe wants to achieve uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. It's uh, it's quite a big uh, it's quite a big uh, a big objective, an ambition of objectives. If it's feasible, but it's uh, it's ambitious. Uh, just for you to know, well, maybe you already know, but uh, theoretically, according to the IPCC. Uh, you, the world as a world, should be carbon neutral by 2050, if we want to stay uh, below one half degree. So this is even more ambitious if you if you think about the discussion we had previously uh, uh, with respect to emerging market. The European regulation is, uh, however, quite relevant for these aspects. Uh, it will force comp- uh, asset manager. And, and funds to declare how they integrate uh, uh, ESG. Of course, they will be allowed to say we do not consider uh, sustainability risk to be relevant. But I think that uh, there won't be many products that uh, or, or banks uh, that will go in this uh, in this direction. Forcing these uh, these uh, these declaration, they they also force uh, uh, companies outside. Uh, the, the financial world to, to report on, on some of the data that we will have to, to check because today uh, the transparency and the, the quality of the data is one of the big issues that we, that we face in this, uh, in this space. So this is, uh, the, the, the idea of the European Union is to create a, a kind of virtual circle where on the one hand uh, you force company to report on data with subsidies, uh, uh, if you respect some of the rules that uh, the European U- Union set up, you can also receive subsidies uh, to improve the, the plant and reduce and cut CO2 emission. You have uh, uh, the financial world that will start to judge company by how they are uh, approaching these uh, uh, the different teams that are part of the of the European planet that are the traditional ENS uh, NG teams. 
uh, maybe uh, we have to see what can be the impact uh, uh, on the on the fixed income side with uh, uh, with rates and yields that are around zero almost uh, almost everywhere and then still uh, uh, we need to see uh, how uh, local and national legislation will incorporate uh, uh, will incorporate the laws, uh, the, the regulation. So, what does so, that mean from a so from an investor's perspective? You know, the practical realities of some of this um, um, legislation. From an investor, I think that uh, more clarity. Uh, as you know, today the, there are many funds that claims to be sustainable but maybe they aren't uh, so there are there will be clear rules to define what what are the funds that has a, that have a sustainable objective uh, other funds will be classified as funds that promotes environmental and social characteristics and they will have to uh, to report on uh, on many different data points to to show that they are Really caring on uh, on these uh, on, on these topics. Uh, as investor, as a client, uh, uh, at least uh, in Europe uh, and also UK, you will uh, you will start be asked uh, uh, about your environmental and social preferences because uh, European regulation will also modify the MIFID. Uh, we don't know yet uh, uh, to what extent, but for the time being, we've just seen a couple of draft regulation. Uh, they are expected to enter into force in the second half of next year, but this is uh, this is nothing written on the stone for the time being. Uh, I guess the next step uh, is uh, is to create a kind of eco label. So you will be as an investor, you will be uh, a bit more uh, confident in what you are going to buy. If uh, you are, so it'll uh, be like say, a um, direct investor, like, um, like if you're buying a, um, you know, a refrigerator or a freezer or or a, a, or plus a washing plus, machine, like that, yeah. the, the little grading between red and green. Um, so it'll be something similar to that, I guess. I, I suspect so. I suspect so. There will be. It's not yet. We are not there yet. But I suspect there will be something that goes in that uh, in that direction. Then. Uh, uh, on the on the financial market, uh, we have seen in the last few in the last few months some some uh, rotation into into let's say traditional uh, uh, climate investments, uh, uh, solar panels, uh, green technologies. They also had a good performance, while some other sector are uh, are lagging are lagging behind. Uh, this is. Uh, this is something that may continue, uh, but this is this is more your call. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, th I suspect <laughs> uh, the world is going to change in in a relatively quick period of time, and uh, it's important that certainly anybody working in financial services fully understands the implications of this legislation and what it does to uh, to everything from marketing materials to account opening forms where you will uh, you know maybe provide uh, one level used to provide a, a range of risk tolerance and now you provide a range 
of uh, environmental factors. Um, uh, and it'd be, it'd be quite interesting to see us in subsequently with anyone ticks the I don't really care uh, box uh, in, in, that, uh, in that account opening form. Um, so yeah, so the, the world is certainly going to change. Um, so Stefan, moving on to kind of the, the investment uh, implications. Uh, you touch upon it um, um, within the fixed income markets um, where we have this kind of very strange situation where uh, let's assume that if you're an environmentally perfect company, obviously there's no such thing, but if you're an environmentally perfect company, the spread, i.e. the extra interest rate that you pay on your bonds is small um, hence the return potential for the client is then small but if you are a environmentally poor company your spread or your interest rate is very high and then as an investor it's more attractive um, so this is a I guess a real big dilemma from a from a you know investor's perspective um, how do you think this gets solved? Well, it's, uh, yeah, th this is something that we discuss uh, an incredible number of times. While there is a, a, p a positive correlation uh, in the equity space between uh, ESG and risk return of investment, in the, in the fixed income space is somehow, is somehow the opposite. So the the best way to uh, to deal with this uh, uh, with this apparent paradox is to use uh, uh, ESG data, ESG information to uh, to better understand if the the yield that you are receiving for your investment is aligned with uh, with the risk that you are taking. This is not something easy, uh, also because probably uh, the impact of the of the good or bad ESG is uh, is exponential. So if you have very solid uh, uh, financial, you can survive if you have a poor ESG. Uh, but uh, the more your financial situation worsen, more the, the the risk increase more the proportionally if the if the ESG side is. Uh, is not uh, is not perfect. So on the one hand, uh, ESG is uh, is yeah a kind of uh, additional checking that you have to perform to to assess if uh, what you get is aligned with the risk. On the other hand, uh, you can use also uh, ESG to to discuss with company. So I think that engagement is something that can happen also in the fixed income space. As we did, for instance, for for Vale, uh, after the collapse of the Brumandinho Dam, we we had together with uh, many other investors, we had discussion with uh, with the company to force changes. Uh, and of course, uh, you can also support this company and uh, and continue to uh, to all the to all the debt of the of the company if you see that. Uh, the companies uh, recognizes mistakes and uh, and is ready to change. So, uh, like an activist type of approach within fixed income, then obviously makes a lot of sense because obviously the total return that you make, for example, if the spread is very wide, 
for a company, for example, Vale previously, they have an accident, the spread goes very wide. You then engage with the company. You try to to um, to turn things around. And I think this is quite an important point is that many people uh, possibly don't realize that actually if you're going to be a positive force for change is actually to buy some of the companies that are really bad and improve them, right? So ESG or excluding, say, well, I only ever want to buy, you know, um, green companies. Do you actually force much change? Yes, you probably do because you bring the cost of capital down for those very green companies. But actually, if you're going to make the biggest difference is actually to buy the polluting companies and force them to change, right, um, through your um, through your voting or through your pressure. And I think that's something that, um, um, you know, I, I guess sometimes investors are not 100% aware of, um, you know, buying a polluting company is not necessarily just a bad thing, but actually then engaging and forcing the change is then becomes a very positive thing. Uh, and obviously from a, from a fixed income investors perspective actually can actually lead to, uh, you know, better, better returns, um, uh, as well. So I think, you know, understanding that narrative is, is obviously very important. Yeah, I totally agree. And honestly, when I, when I, the, when I started at the beginning of my career looking at, uh, let's say, environmental and social topics, uh, the first things that I looked at was, let's say, what it was called as ethical investing. Uh, but, yeah, I've realized that uh, if you are, uh, well, if you are a silent ethical investor and you decide not to invest in, I don't know, tobacco share or weapons or, or whatever, uh, then uh, uh, the impact you can obtain is almost uh, is almost nothing in a in a fully functional uh, in a fully functional market. Mm, so you, you can think about creating a kind of scale of impact where you start with the silent ethical investor that has almost zero impact, up to uh, an investor that engage with companies and and try to force for change to push for change. Then I, I can also see that in some cases you can maybe, you cannot engage because if a company has, I don't know, uh, the business, one-line business that focus on uh, on a controversial weapon, well, the company is difficult, for, it's quite difficult for that company to change because it has only one, uh, one line of business. Uh, but in some cases, this is, uh, this is feasible and, and it's, something that has uh, quite a big impact and that's why we we decided to to, to limit very much the the exclusions uh, and just uh, exclude companies that are um, producing controversial weapons don't we don't want to finance them uh, we don't want to finance to invest in companies that are complete that completely lack transparency so the the ones that have the, the worst rating in our in our universe because if we think that ESG is should be part is part of a of a reasonable uh, process of of a state of the art investment process. Well, if a company does not collaborate and does not give you any information, how can you judge it? So, I I think that in some cases it makes sense to not to invest in this company 
uh, but of course, if, if this company provides you info, then you can you can discuss with them and you can you can start investing. But then uh, you have to set up a framework where you you can engage, where you can vote uh, much better. If we if as we did vote with a sustainability overlay, and uh, and that way you can uh, you can obtain some uh, some impact. So, uh, very briefly, Stefano, what is the the EFG um, investment approach uh, to uh, to these matters? Well, I think that across the the last few years, we set up a well a very good uh, a very good process, uh, and uh, and this is thanks to the the input that we receive from from all the fund manager and the and the analyst. Uh, uh, and the analysts globally, and uh, and thanks also to to the work we did uh, with Jason. So the idea is uh, to start from from our GRIP, the Global Responsible Investment Platform, where we integrate data with uh, for roughly more than three thousand companies, and we have uh, uh, between two hundred and fifty and three hundred data points coming. For all these, uh, for all these company, and we we start doing a first assessment, and um, to see if where are the weak spot in the in the management in this company. Uh, these data are shared with the analysts through the the internal research management system, and uh, with uh, with these data and with the help the, of the questionnaire and the manual that we developed. Uh, if the analysts see something that is uh, that creates worries, they can uh, they can highlight. Uh, they can uh, start discussing with uh, with the company uh, to obtain some additional info. If things became more complex, we can also participate, and we also do engagement directly with uh, with companies where we see uh, that there are some aspects that can be improved. And uh, the idea is to create this kind of virtual circle where we, we start from, from the assessment, we receive uh, inputs from companies and from, uh, from analysts and fund manager. We integrate these inputs into our, into our framework and that way we improve uh, the, the accountability of our, of our judgment. Uh, we use these, uh, with this judgment to engage. Uh, we align the voting with uh, with the process and, and go on. Every time an analyst sees something that uh, he thinks can be improved, uh, well, we, we can improve it. This is, I think, having the having a proprietary framework uh, and not being forced to use a rating provided by by some external parties is uh, is one of the big advantage that that we that we have. And these, of course. Uh, with uh, with a great uh, group of uh, of uh, analysts and fund manager. Great. Obviously, it's been a huge amount of work, and uh, I think uh, uh, the terminology grip I don't think is actually well understood in EFG at the moment. So uh, we will keep on saying grip quite a lot, uh, so that uh, so that it becomes part of the EFG nomenclature. Um, so um, we're coming closer to the end now. So how do we work? Obviously, we we had a podcast with Jason. Jason's talked uh, at many of our events over the years. 
how do we work with Jason Jay, who's, who's our uh, ESG future leaders panelist? What are what are the kind of practical things do we bring here? Well, I think that he has been quite uh, quite useful for us. Well, of course, it's it's a very nice guy, and yeah, he is. And yeah, we, and and this, of course, is an is an additional pleasure to to discuss with him, and then we share a common vision how to interpret the. An approach ESG, and this, of course, it's uh, it's an additional it's an additional plus. I think the first time we we exploited it, it was when we uh, did the assessment of our process with him, uh, and he gave some suggestion that we we try to to integrate uh, as far as we can. We have regular discussion and meeting uh, with him where he can. Uh, Highlight what are the driver, what are the changes that he can see in the in the industry, and uh, is uh, well, and also then uh, is the fact that the is uh, with the MIT within the MIT they are doing quite a lot of research uh, on the topic. They they are able to highlight uh, the main challenge that uh, that we face or the industry face. And knowing that uh, it's uh, it's somehow easier for us to to amend uh, and improve what we what we are, what we are doing. Uh, additionally, I, personally, I would also say that uh, partnering with him uh, it adds credibility to to everything that we do in terms of uh, documents that we prepare. Maybe it doesn't change a word, but the fact that the he, he read them uh, is makes me more confident and makes people more confident that what's written is uh, is something that that really makes sense. Yeah, so like I said the get, the proof is in the pudding given the ratings uh, that we uh, that, that we subsequently got, which is uh, which is great. So uh, Stefano, it's been absolutely fascinating and you know many topics and i think we could as you said earlier we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours uh, and uh, we'll certainly will have you uh, on again to talk about specific topics maybe about things like governance and some of the trends around governance for example which uh, which is obviously very um, you know very important but um, my last question is um, what advice would you give to any budding esg analyst um you know, in terms of the career, what obviously is a very hot topic. Um, the CFA um, have you know, introduced a, a course, uh, accreditation, accreditation specifically around ESG. You know, what, what advice would you be giving to to someone who's embarking on a career as an ESG analyst? Well, um, when I started my career, I never thought about the existence of, uh, of an ESG <laughs> role. Uh, so I think that if you want to be uh, an ESG analyst, you have first to be passionate on what you do. Uh, you have to be flexible because uh, things change. And uh, I honestly, it's quite difficult to think how ESG will be in 20 years. Uh, Probably it will be completely inter- completely mainstream and integrated in uh, in financial assessment. Uh, maybe rating agency will be merging with uh, uh, with uh, with other companies. Very difficult to to foresee how things will uh, 
uh, will change. Uh, I would say that he, can, he must continue to look, look around, uh, so be flexible, be open to, to changes, uh, continue to study finance because uh, this is, uh, I, I suspect the two will be, as I said, will, be, will become more and more integrated. <laughs> and thinking about the, the growing regulation, probably prepare for a solid legal background. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, very, very good advice. Um, I think uh, regulation is certainly going to be a big part of, uh, of the... Uh, uh, of the connection to uh, to financial markets and companies, it's uh, certainly going to be it's going to be uh, it's certainly going to be there. Well, uh, Stefano, thank you very much for uh, uh, an excellent uh, summary of our approaches and some of the key trends and some of the difficulties that that, that are, are around the the ESG topic. Uh, thank you very much, and I'm sure we'll have you again. Uh, on uh, again beyond the benchmark very soon okay thanks to you Moses always a pleasure thank you to discuss about these uh, about these topics thank, thank you. you very much thanks uh, thanks Stefan so uh, I hope you found that very interesting if you have any questions please send them into beyond at fgam.com repeat that again beyond at fgam.com and we'll speak to you again next week <laughs>